Today in the Catholic Wire, the Vatican approves same-sex unions in a particular way. We have bad news and good news. Uh, good news on the other side is that the Catholic Wire has a lot more resources coming up. A uh, store where you can buy books, uh, music that is coming up also from Mater Day Seminary. So stay tuned. There's a whole mix of stuff today for a Merry Christmas. This is Father Carlos Cepeda. You are listening to The Catholic Wire. And we're back with another show. Uh, you know, being in Christmas, I would like it to be something beautiful and edifying. And there is a lot of good things that we could speak of. But unfortunately, you know, we have to talk about the emergencies. We have to warn the people about the evil doctrines that are being passed around. And so we do have to address that topic, even in spite of the joyful dates. As always, we begin the show with a, a moment of culture, of general culture. And we're going to speak of a quote said by Tim Fargo. I actually don't know who Tim Fargo is, speaking of culture. <laughs> But well, Tim Fargo said this, the path to wisdom is paved with humility. The path to wisdom is paved with humility. It's a quote very much, uh, you can see definitely is based a lot on scripture, on scriptural ideas. And uh, a quote very fitting for our days and age, our, our day and age. We were all 18. You remember those days when being 18, you thought that you were going to eat the whole world and you had all the resources and you had all the information. You just came out of college with your master's degree. Not at 18, maybe, but um, you know everything. Nobody can tell you anything. The old generations, what they know. And so I think this quote is very, very necessary, especially for young people. You know, we tend to have this attitude of... Uh, I don't need to learn anything. I shouldn't be corrected. Uh, disregard what the elders say. And this causes us to fall into a lot of trouble. And, and we end up learning through experience and banging our head on the wall that no, we had some things wrong, many of them, and that we are actually prone to error. And so it is, it is useful to remember humility is the path to success, to wisdom. So as a young person, you want to always get advice of older people, uh, consider yourself as prone to error, that the possibilities of you being mistaken are much higher than 50%. You know, let's just put it that way. A very fitting quote, very necessary in our day and age. And speaking of error, maybe we should go to speak about the Vatican document. Actually, before that, I would like to speak of some good news. As Christmas is approaching, We do have more music that was released by Mater Dei Seminary. Mater Dei Seminary is obviously the choir from our seminary where you have had uh, many young priests, one seminarians singing. And we have only a few CDs there now. We have added all of them. I think most of them are almost all out now. Uh, the new additions is the first solemn high mass by Father Gekol. Beautiful mass. Here we have one of the most beautiful pieces that I have ever heard. The Felix Namco S by Nicholas Welton. That is a copyrighted piece. So we had to get a, a license from, from Mr. Welton, who was very gracious. He gave it to us. Um, also, we have the new addition, which is the Susum Corda CD, which we have in here. And I believe you can see it in the screen. Great CD. I'm very thankful for the now priests who recorded this. One of them actually was Kevin Davis from the Catholic Family Podcast, if I'm not mistaken. He's not a priest, but he was there, um, if I'm not mistaken. Great music. Very, very pleasant to listen to. You have this great combination of Gregorian and traditional Christmas carols. Now, you might have the CD. This is not the same, though. This has some pieces, some uh, musical tracks that are not on the CD. It's a special bonus edition, you could say. We have actually five new tracks, never heard before, very spontaneous, some of them perhaps too spontaneous, uh, but great, great to listen to. And we're going to play some of them just so that you hear the quality of this. The Veni Emanuel is really good, really good. Thank you. 
We have some instrumental pieces as well. All kinds of pieces we have in all 23 tracks. It's a very, very good uh, record, very good album. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, you can uh, find it in Apple Music, you can find it on Amazon Music also to buy, to purchase. I recommend it, you know, put it as a background music in your Christmas parties, holidays, uh, reunions, gatherings. It's just great. I think it's really, really great. So that is our first good news for today. There is more coming. Now, let's go into the matter at hand, the, the theological matter that we are discussing today. That would be the declaration that was enacted by the doctrine of the Gastery of the doctrine of, for the doctrine of the faith. This was, I think, December 18, if I'm not mistaken. And this called, ironically, is called fiducia supplicans. I say ironically because you could loosely translate that as begging for faith. You know, like the the people begging for faith. And that's exactly what's been happening since Vatican II. All these people that are trapped in this new institution are quite literally begging to have the Catholic faith, to hear something that pertains to the Catholic faith, and the Vatican keeps delivering apostasy and heresy. This document, it's, uh, they pretend to, to do it as if it was just the explanation of the pastoral meaning of blessings. It has nothing to do with that, really. Uh, the document should be on the blessing of same-sex couples. That should be the topic of the, do of the document. That's what it really is. I have to be honest with you. Um, it's hard to keep track on all the heresies of the Vatican. You know, I, I had just a podcast a few weeks ago where I was saying that the Vatican might approve same-sex unions. And I said this is going to happen in a couple of months, maybe years. And I was wrong. It was just a few days. Uh, you know, the Vatican is faster than my lowest expectations. Uh, the heretics, the heretics at the Vatican, I should say. This document comes out then, it creates this huge stir. All the Catholic media are commenting on it. You see most websites, news websites have five or six articles on it. Everybody's going crazy about it. Some bishops are approving it, especially the bishops in Germany, in Austria, uh, those countries that were, you know, the most liberal in the Second Vatican Council and still today. And other countries are remaining neutral. Kind of the United States of America is one of those. And other countries are just plain outright rejecting it and saying we're not doing this and this is wrong. One of the bishops actually went so far as to say that this document seemed, redact the redaction of the document, the writing of it, was diabolical. This is a novus ordo bishop that said this. Priests have said this, that this document causes harm, that it, priests in the Novus Ordo Church, I mean to say, not on our side of the camp, but on that side of the camp that they actually accept supposedly the authority of Francis. So the document is, is a whole controversy right now. And I'll be honest with you, I really don't have the stomach to go through it all and read it. I, I read the whole thing. I did read the whole thing to make an analysis of it. I'm not going to put you through that. It's very, very disgusting. Logically, yeah, there, you know, there's not uh, any congruence in it, inconsistent. And it is, it's a very typical modernist document. Pope Pius X, in his encyclical Dominici, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, he says that one of the, one of the usual tactics of the, of the modernists is to state something that is true, and then state something that is false, something that, you know, at first they state a doctrine that is Catholic, and then they introduce their doctrine that is uh, an innovation. And they do this frequently in order to deceive you and introduce their doctrines without being noticed. It's a very typical thing that they do. You see this all throughout this document. They give you a little bit of Catholic doctrine, almost Catholic doctrine, I should say, and then the, the modernist bomb. So, Rather than going through the whole thing textually, I'm going to give you the document by parts so that you know what's in there. I know what you're saying. 
How do you know that, Father? Well, I have magical powers. You're thinking, perhaps, why do I want to know this? You know, if I'm already, perhaps, you're already in the true Catholic faith, you go to the Latin Mass, the real Mass, I should say, you have access to real priests who give you the true doctrine, the true sacraments, the true Mass. Why do I want to know these things that the Vatican does? It is very relevant for us because it will have implications also for us. Also, because it helps you to reaffirm your position. You know, when um, you were in this bus, this yellow bus that was Vatican II Church, and you said, I'm getting out of this, I'm hopping into this other bus that is called the Catholic Church of Always. And people told you, you're crazy, schismatic, you know, that's not the church. I get, I get emails almost every day from a guy telling me that I'm not in the, in the true church. So when you, you know, you get these uh, people criticizing you. But when you look and you see this Vatican II bus going down the cliff of moral depravity and heresy, you take a sigh of relief and you say to yourself, you know what, I made the right decision. And these emails that I get every day, it's like this document proves my point. So that's one reason to understand it, to study. The other reason is that these things will affect your family. They will affect your children. Your children are being bombarded by LGBT propaganda almost constantly. You don't notice it, perhaps. Perhaps you do. In music, in TV, in movies, friends, schools, college, co-workers. Everyone is pushing and saying we should accept this. You know, this is something natural. It pertains to human reality. And therefore, if you reject it, you're discriminating, you're being unjust. And children buy it. Even traditional Catholic children buy it. Because when you get bombarded by something so frequently, even if inside yourself you say, I don't believe it, eventually you yield. You do break down. You do accept the idea. That's what's happening. And the Vatican doing this is a huge step in that direction where the whole of the world will accept it now. And your children might be persecuted because of this. Not might, they will be. So it is important to understand this document and to be able not only to understand it, but to pass that understanding on to your children so that they know what they're facing. And most importantly, they know why this is wrong. That's very important. They need to know why this is wrong. Okay, so let's go into the document. The first thing that I want to point out is this. Immediately, whenever these documents come out, people say, you know, the, you have the, uh, the Michael Matz and, and the Remnants and the Angelus Press and the SSPX and all these institutions telling you, oh, this is not the Pope. The Pope is always drugged. You know, they keep him in a room. This was the dicastery of the faith. He had nothing to do with it. He was banging on the doors and they didn't let him out. Well, the document tells you right in the beginning during that time, this document was discussed with the Holy Father. The text of the declaration was submitted to the Holy Father for his review. He approved it with his signature. The idea from the very beginning, the idea that this is not a document from Francis, totally bogus, is right there. They tell you in the very first lines. We're going to go by parts of the document, just kind of giving you the general scope of each part. The document begins in typical modernist fashion, giving you a little bit of a, a, what do you call that? An anesthetic shot. You know, they give you, so that this doesn't hurt, we're going to give you this little anesthetic, a little bit of Catholic doctrine, so that you prepare yourself. And so in the introduction, they tell you first the story of the document. How did this come about? Well, there were these cardinals that submitted the dubia to Francis, asking him, among other things, can the Catholic Church bless same-sex marriages? A totally idle question, a totally useless exercise. There's no reason to ask that. You know the answer of it. Like, <laughs> the, answer, the question should not be that. The question should be, do you say that? Because if you say that, you're a heretic. That should be the question. They submit this dubia. 
Francis follows the game, he replies, and when he replies, he opens this door. He says, no, the church doesn't approve same-sex marriages, but other blessings can be had. And so this document is the, re the result of that door opened. And they say it right there, this responsum elicited, you know, more possibilities. And now we're exploring these possibilities that Francis opened. One has to ask here if this whole thing of the dubia is then nothing more but part of the game. I don't want to be too, you know, you know I don't want to be extra uh, prone to conspiracy theories. But the fact is that this is typical Vatican II behavior. The Pope is asked a question. He just opens the door, but he doesn't say the error. He doesn't throw the bomb himself. He opens the door so that then there comes some bureaucrat in the Vatican. And he is the one that throws the liturgical bomb or, or the heresy bomb. That's what's happening here. And so after that, they go on to explain what the position of the Pope, quote-unquote, has been. And this is your anesthetic shot, you know. Well, you, can, you can be assured that things are Catholic. It says that Pope Francis, in his response, has been very clear that same-sex couples, you know, couples that are in irregular situations, cannot be married. And for you, Catholic, that was reading this document with your heart trembling and trying to figure out how the Pope is not a heretic, you read this document, this part, and you're supposed to have your sigh of relief. You're supposed to say, ah, okay, the Pope is not a heretic. He's saying that they cannot be married. So that's good. And here's the first trap of the document that I want to point out, about, point out to you. The, the document says, yes, they cannot be married. There's no such thing as a same-sex marriage. But then the document goes on after closing this door it goes on to open yet another door where the document creates another set of unions where they are not married, but their union is legitimized by the church. And so that's just as bad. Not just as bad, but it's pretty bad. So we should not be deceived in thinking that this document doesn't yield to the LGBT agenda. It does. What it does is we cannot give you this union, we're giving you another one. And that's pretty much just as good, because I hate to break it down to you or to the bishops and priests in the Novus Ordo Church, but in your churches, in your dioceses, nobody cares about marriage anymore. Like even straight people, quote-unquote straight people, are not getting married in your churches. So it's not a big deal if you deny marriage to gay people, because even the straight people are not getting married. What you're doing is just as bad. You are creating another set of unions, which are also legitimized. You are, in fact, approving same-sex unions, and that's the problem. So that anesthetic shot, not very effective. Then after that, in the second part of the document here, the meaning of the various blessings. Um, they need to figure out how do we justify the giving of blessings to these depraved couples, to people that are, you know, in perversion. And so they're going to make a distinction. They will say there are liturgical blessings and there are non-liturgical blessings. The liturgical blessings would be what we in real Catholic theology call the sacraments, according to what they say here. Well, they say the liturgical blessings, yes, you have to be in, love with, in the love of God. You have to keep the commandments. You have, they have to be according to God's will. And they're very specific, so much so that it almost seems Catholic. Let's read off from that. It says, from a strictly liturgical point of view, a blessing requires that what is blessed be conformed to God's will. Then later on, they reaffirm this. They say that these blessings are primarily aimed at giving glory to God for his gifts, asking for his favors, Restraining the power of evil in the world. So you see, this is actually, it seems pretty Catholic, right? It says even that if you are preparing for these blessings, quote-unquote blessings, you have to have the love that urges the observance of God's commandments. And so this would seem Catholic, right? That these blessings, uh, you have to keep the commandments, you have to be in grace, in the, in the state of grace. That's what we would say in real traditional Catholic theology.
So you have your sigh of relief, you know, your bubble starts blowing up and you say, yes, this is Catholic, this is not heretic, I can rest assured. But then, a few paragraphs below, that bubble is popped. Then they tell you, but hold on a second. You have to avoid the risk of reducing the meaning of these blessings to this view alone. Because it would lead you to expect the same moral conditions for a simple blessing that are called for in the reception of the sacraments. And this, you know, this would bring to a very great problem because you might have too many moral prerequisites under the claim of control. So, no, 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 no. You're trying to get too Catholic. Let's go back. Uh, we shouldn't have too many moral prerequisites. And so, we're going to have to find another kind of blessings that do not require moral prerequisites. But before we get into that, let's go into another break and let's show you another set of good news that we have for you today. It's another, mu another album of Christmas music that we uh, have found, I wouldn't say found, we were invited rather to share. This is a family actually from here, from our parish. And you can find it also in Spotify, Apple Music, and everywhere else that you have these platforms. I think it should be also on Amazon Music. And it's called the Kosovich Choir. And you'll be able to listen also to beautiful Christmas music. These guys are very talented. I don't know how, what equipment they had. I figure they had some good microphones. Other than that, nothing professional, I think, in the equipment. But the recording is, sounds great. It sounds professional. It sounds just crisp. And so I'm going to play some of it for you. And again, I encourage you to listen to it. You know, make sure that you download it, that you buy it if you can. It's just really, really great stuff. So let's go ahead and listen to some of them. siblings really really great stuff uh, in dulce jubilo i just love in dulce jubilo Offense to the other guys that the voices are great everyone's singing great uh, I'll have to say this even though I'm kind of a parish priest for them half a parish priest for them but I think the soprano steals the show she definitely does <laughs> no offense to the other guys uh, really good stuff so make sure that you give it a listen uh, we're gonna get rid of this right now and let's go back to to the topic at hand today well um, so we try to find now, in this document, they're trying to find now the kind of blessings that we can use, regardless of moral preconditions. And for that, they're going to go, well, what are the other kinds of blessings, the ones that are not liturgical? And this is where the part where the document just becomes unbearable, because they start going through this whole mumbo-jumbo and theory of blessings, and they start giving you these examples of blessings of sacred scripture, and they come with the theory of the ascending blessings and the descending blessings. The descending blessings are the ones where God gives you benefits. And the ascending blessings are the ones where, I don't know, are, you, are we giving benefits to God? doesn't make any sense. It's more like we're praising God. I think we used to call that just prayer. So I'm not sure how, you know, you could say you bless God, but not really. So... Um, they come with this whole theory, and I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I think I could be a good... This sounds horrible to say. I could be a good modernist writer. I immediately think there should be parallel blessings, you know, uh, lateral blessings, diagonal blessings, all kinds of directions where you could bless people. 
you know, diagonal lower blessing to your mascot, your pet down there. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't put that in there. But anyways, you have all this theory of blessings. These four paragraphs, five, are entirely useless for the whole document. Because it's not like the, con the conclusion comes up later on. It's not like this is used to justify why you bless same-sex couples. Like, they this, it has no use to it. Honestly, maybe the only use is that they're trying to make the reader get disgusted and just stop reading the document before getting to the ugly part. And now we're going to start in the next section, a theological pastoral understanding of blessings. Um, we will come now to what is really the interesting part of the document in regards to the heresy that is in there and the immoral doctrines that are proposed. Uh, this section, this whole section, intends to, to draw this distinction where they say, well, a person that asks for a blessing, you know, is always going to have certain good dispositions in them. You know, they're asking for God's help. They're asking for this and that. And they're, you know, confident in God's mercy and all these kinds of terms. And so we will read a little bit of it. The whole point of this is basically to justify and say, well, a person might ask for a blessing and not really want to get out of sin, and that's fine. That's basically what they're trying to say. Obviously, the, the quotes are all going to be taken from Francis or someone like that. Pope Francis urges us to contemplate with an attitude of faith and fatherly mercy the fact that when one asks for a blessing, one is expressing a petition for God's assistance, etc., etc. And then they say, well, you know, they're asking for good things. And you might say, well, yeah, they're asking for contrition or perhaps conversion or perhaps, you know, to get out of sin or grace or the love of God. Well, all those words would be too Catholic. So, no, all is going to be New Age, mambo-jumbo, a few Catholic reference, perhaps. People who have come spontaneously to ask for a blessing show by this request their sincere openness to transcendence, the confidence of their hearts that they do not trust in their own strength alone, their need for God. They mentioned God, okay, at least once and their desire to break out of the narrow confines of this world. Conversion, contrition, getting out of sin, all of those things are not mentioned at all. And I think this is one of the great traps that we have in this document, but we will mention that a little bit later. Right now I want to focus on verse 24, or rather paragraph 24. As they start shaping this new form of blessing that requires no moral dispositions in the recipient, they tell you that these blessings that we're making up right now are external to the celebration of the Holy Eucharist and of the other sacraments. Now, this was something worth no noticing for me, because you could say that in a certain sense, you know, that they're not in the same liturgical action, that you do the sacrament of the Eucharist, that you do the Mass. However, no blessing is entirely disconnected of the Holy Eucharist. Why is that? Because the Holy Eucharist is the source of all grace, the source of all blessings. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. So you cannot claim to have any blessing, any true blessing, disconnected from the Holy Eucharist. That doesn't exist. It's connected at least in the sense that it draws grace from our Lord, you know, from the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the next paragraph is where we get into really murky waters. At this point, that anesthetic shot that we got at the beginning of some orthodox doctrine is starting to wear off and you're starting to feel the pain now, the pain of heresy. And so this paragraph 25 is quite noticeable. The church, moreover, must shy away from resting its pastoral praxis on the fixed nature of certain doctrinal or disciplinary schemes. I will go into that again. Especially when they lead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, blah, blah, blah. This is all Francis' speech. 
And this is Francis Peach using what we call situational ethics. Situational ethics is an error that was condemned by the church in 1952 when Francis was still the seminarian and uh, destiny was not kind enough for us, for him to leave the seminary. Um, he was still a seminarian and at that time the Holy Office condemned a doctrine called situational ethics. What is situational ethics? It is basically the concept that listening to the sin is very rarely committed. Ah, sorry. It is basically the concept that sin is rarely committed because your circumstances most of the times attenuate your sin so much that is not you're not really culpable for it. Now it is true that circumstances can sometimes diminish your culpability or or you know the the degree of responsibility that you have. But situational ethics goes to the point of saying that it can be not a sin at all, even if it's a very grievous sin, uh, because you are upset or sad or had a tough life or whatever. A totally leftist idea and a totally modernist idea because it really destroys the concept of sin. What is incredibly interesting about this particular paragraph is that Pope Pius XII in 19, I believe it was also 1952, yeah, 1952, almost literally made reference to this paragraph, like a prophecy. It was like if he was saying, Francis is going to say this, this is wrong, and we'll read it. Let's look again at what Francis says. He says, the church must shy away from resting its pastoral praxis on the fixed nature of certain doctrinal or disciplinary schemes. Notice what they're telling the pastors here. They're telling the pastor, you, your, pastoral, your pastoral decisions, they should not be based on dogma or on morals, on fixed doctrinal schemes, dogma, or on fixed disciplinary schemes, morals. No, your decisions as a pastor, your pastoral decisions should be based on something else, the feeling of your guts, whether if you had you know, a good meal that day or not, who knows what. Not on fixed doctrinal or disciplinary schemes. And then it says that leads to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism. Now, let's read the words that Pope Pius XII gave in 1952, his allocution to the families called La Familia. And it's almost literally rebuking Francis. This new morality affirms that the church, instead of fostering the law of human liberty and of love, bases itself almost exclusively and with excessive rigidity on the firmness and intransigence of moral laws, frequently resorting to the terms you are obliged, it is not licit, which has, they say, too much of an air of degrading pedantry. It's almost word by word referring to what Francis just said. And the Pope continues, he says, It so happens that this accusation of oppressive rigidity made against the Church by this new morality, in reality, attacks in the first place the adorable person of Christ himself. So the Pope is telling you there very clearly, hey, when Francis is saying these things, he's not attacking the Church, he's attacking the adorable person of Christ. Because these are rules that Christ established. This is the faith that Christ gave us. And Francis is full-fledged, like entirely, into... He's entirely into situational ethics. So he says that, that the church must shy away from doctrinal or disciplinary schemes. And then it says, thus... When people ask for a blessing, an exhaustive moral analysis should not be placed as a precondition for conferring it. Uh, they use an equivocation here, this, this, all these paragraphs that follow. They do a very dishonest comparison and, and equivocation. They say, well, when the priest blesses a group of people, a crowd of people, uh, he doesn't examine everyone's conscience. He doesn't go and tell everyone, hey, are you sinning? Are you sinning over there? Hey, you, are you sinning? He doesn't do that. You know, he just gives a blessing and the blessing descends upon all. So you see, blessings can be given without a care of the moral 
quality of the person. That is true. The thing is, when a priest gives a blessing to a group of people, he is taken for granted that these are all practicing Catholics. And he's giving blessing to the faithful of the church. He doesn't give the blessing to a group of mixed people where there is some Protestants, some Calvinists, some Buddhists, and Catholics. No. He is very careful to always give his blessing to practicing Catholics. But also, the blessing that he gives is in the manner of a blessing that comes from the church to all people that belong to the church. He is not blessing a particular action or a particular lifestyle. That is the difference. Here, in the case at hand, we're talking about someone coming to me and asking me, can you bless my lifestyle? Can you bless these actions in which I am engaging? That is very different. Because then, not only am I blessing their lifestyle, I'm approving their actions, if I bless it. It's an entirely different situation. And so it's a very another very common thing topic uh, a very use uh, a very common thing for the modernists to have something um, an example of something and then use it when it doesn't apply to a situation that is entirely different to confuse people and so this whole argument that they give here in paragraphs 26 27 28 has no point whatsoever it makes no sense whatsoever, is not the same thing at all. And this is not only me saying. There are many articles in, uh, there's a website called The Pillar, it's Novo Sordo Catholic, it's not, they're not traditional Catholic. There's other websites, uh, NC Register as well. Many of them are saying the same. This isn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's contradictory, it's illogical. They're using examples that do not apply. And here, maybe it would be good to point out the other error in this document. We're coming up with another good thing that I want to show you for the Catholic Wire, so stay tuned just a little bit more, and we'll go into that for a break. The other thing that is important to notice is, in the whole document, at no moment do they call the sinners to conversion, to repent, to change their lifestyle. Nothing. You don't find anything of that at all. Not only that, the unions, the gay unions, the gay marriages, whatever you call them, they are never, ever referred as sinful unions, which they should. That's what it is. Or living in a state of sin or anything like that. Nothing. Not one reference like that. Actually, they go out of their way and they're very careful to phrase it in such a way that they are never condemning those Unions. There's only like two lines where they say this is illicit or this is, you know, not according, according to moral standards. But they never call them state of sin or living in state of sin. And this is a very horrible trap. It's a very horrible trap for the people that are in that sin first. For the people that are around them, for the priests, for everyone. It's a very cruel thing if you think about it. Because as a pastor, that should be your first concern. It should be to go and tell someone in that state, you need to convert, you need to change your lifestyle, otherwise you're going to go to hell. That's, you got to put it bluntly, and as it is, that's what it is. If you live in this lifestyle, you will not go to heaven. It is impossible. You're breaking God's order. You're doing harm to yourself and to others. You have to convert, you have to repent, you have to change that. That should be your first concern. And if you don't do that, you're a cruel person. You're a horrible pastor, and you're responsible for the blood of those souls that will go to hell because you didn't warn them. This goes all the way up to these authorities that are failing to do so in this document. So it's a very cruel thing to do. We are about to enter into the deep, deep part of the heresy and the horrible teachings of this document. But before we go there, we have yet another recess, another little break of uh, good news. And this is, uh, well, actually, before we go into this, I want to show you this. Uh, so we have a new resource in the Catholic Wire. It is the Catholic Wire shop. I've been struggling to get this going 
I wanted to get it going. Not so much. It's not so much for profit. Uh, you, I'm not gonna get much profit from it. Uh, I couldn't really. This is gonna go. Whatever comes from this is gonna go into the support of the project. But the Catholic Wire Shop right now, it's a store where you can buy books. Uh, there is not a lot, you know, right now. There's many, but not 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 a lot. And the purpose of this is for to be able to provide some books that are not available anymore. There are other bookstores that have many good books. Buy from them. Here I'm trying to put the stuff that no one else has yet. Maybe later we'll put some other stuff if we want to make better editions. So in the Catholic Wire Shop, you're going to find right now a theological library. That's mostly for seminarians. The philosophical library, also mostly for seminarians. Lives of the Saints. And we don't have anything yet there. And some books in Spanish that we have in here. So... We're going to be adding collections. The collections are going to have different colors so that if you buy, you know, a whole collection, you're going to be able to distinguish them by the colors in your bookshelf uh, according to topics. And it's print on demand. It's print on demand because that way I don't have to work on it. I don't have time to work on it. I wouldn't have time to keep up a, an inventory, a, a warehouse, all those kind of things. So this is perfect. You know, it's going to be there available. You can go and buy it. Uh, it's going to take a while to print the book and ship it to you. But now it's available at any time and I don't have to do anything about it. So I'm really excited, really, really excited about the Catholic Wire shop. Hopefully in the future we will be able to add some merch, you know, uh, mugs and sweaters and stuff like that. I've been thinking of a sweater, uh, a hoodie that says you cannot date me unless you're Catholic. That would be really cool. So those are another good news for today. Let's get into the main part of this document. The a lot of people, a lot of articles in the internet are saying, you know, the headlines say Francis did not approve same-sex unions. You know, people are saying that Francis approved same-sex unions. That's not true. And all this stuff. And then you have the document that in the very title tells you, okay, blessings of couples in the regular situations and of couples of the same sex. How to do it. Right there, very clear, very openly. And this is the paragraph that, if we were living in good times, would be used to declare Francis a heretic and excommunicate him from the Catholic Church, expel him from wherever he is, and put next to his name and next to this writing the word anathema sit. May he be anathema. Um, this is straight heresy. Straight immorality coming right out of the wolf's mouth. By now, you know that shot, that uh, anesthetic shot, it's entirely gone and you're feeling every single blow in your stomach and straight to your face. This is heresy just slapping you right there. So it says, within the horizon outlined here, appears a possibility of blessings for couples in irregular situations and for couples of the same sex. They do not say couples living in sin. Of course not. The form of which should not be fixed ritually by ecclesiastical authorities to avoid producing confusion with the blessing proper to the sacrament of marriage. Yes, they cannot be married, but here is another union that they can have. In such cases, a blessing may be imparted that not only has an ascending value. This is very noticeable. Remember the theory of the ascending value and the descending value of the blessing? Well, here they tell you, this blessing, not only does it have an ascending value, like prayer going up to God, but it also involves the, invo the invocation of a blessing that descends from God. So that whole distinction was useless. No, 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 this blessing is not only something like a prayer that is ascending to God. When you bless a couple of the same sex, there's a blessing descending from God upon them. Is it going to be maybe just on them individually, like blessing them as individuals, just like the person and this person? Yes, that's probably what it is. Ah, uh, no. It says in here that these people that are asking for the blessing, even though they do not claim a legitimation of their own status, status because they don't need it, they beg that all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and their relationships and their relationships. So no, 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 no. 
you are not just blessing the person. You're blessing their relationships. And we want these relationships to be enriched, healed, elevated by the presence of the Holy Ghost. So it's an outright blessing. And it's claiming, the Vatican is claiming that this blessing is going to draw the Holy Ghost on the relationship of a gay couple, a lesbian couple, a transgender couple. And, you know, who knows, who knows what else? A furry couple, or if you want to date a Muppet, whatever it might be, yes, that comes down, the blessing. Maybe they don't mean grace, right? Maybe they mean something else. No, no. Uh, these forms of a blessing express a supplication that God may grant those aids that come from the impulses of his spirit, word, 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 what classical theology calls actual grace. When you give the sacrament of marriage, one of the results of the sacrament of marriage is an increase of sanctifying grace and the granting of factual graces to the couple. Here the Vatican is saying, no, no, these blessings that you're going to give to people living in sin are going to call the Holy Ghost upon the relationships and actual grace, actual grace on them. You know, in the Old Testament, God burned the whole city, two cities, to the ground. Burned them all down to the ground because they committed the sin of sodomy, the sin of homosexuality. But I guess now God has changed. I guess now things have changed according to the modernists, according to these uh, usurpers. And now God is going to bless these same-sex blessings. So that these human relationships may mature, that they may grow in fidelity to the gospel, that they may be freed from their imperfections and frailties, that they may ever express themselves more in the dimension of the divine love. Nothing of conversion, nothing of repent, nothing of ending these relationships. The only way this relationship, a relationship between a man and a man or a woman and a woman that live in sin in this way, the only way these relationships can lead to God is by being destroyed. By breaking the relationship, the people separating and living chaste lives. They would not be the first ones in the world to do that. That is the only way these relationships can lead to God, by being destroyed, not matured, or growing in fidelity to the gospel, or freed from their imperfections. The relationship, the sinful relationship has to be destroyed, meaning broken, separated. You see here the big importance, the, the great importance of this document. It is a change of doctrine. A lot of articles are claiming it is not. It is. They are specifically saying that grace descends, actual grace descends upon people in the same sex when the priest is going to bless them. You see then how terrible this is, how heretical it is, how immoral it is. I do want to end very quickly. You know, it's hard to go through the whole thing. As you can see, it's very disgusting, very difficult to see all this lie, all this deceit. I just want to point a few things out. The document later on in paragraph 39 tells you, oh yes, you should not do the ceremonies though with the, uh, in concurrence with a civil union or in connection with it. You should not do any ceremony that seems like a marriage. You know, don't dress like a wedding. You know, if John and, we and Mark come to get married, Mark cannot wear a wedding dress, like a, a bride's wedding dress. He has to wear something else. And it should not be do within, done with any attitude that reflects marriage. Well, that sounds good, right? But then in the next paragraph they tell you, instead, you can do it in another context, like a visit to a shrine. So going to a church is not forbidden. A meeting with a priest. A prayer recited in a group or during a pilgrimage. Give the blessing in any way you want, basically. Just not in a way that it seems like marriage, because, you know, that might cause scandal. And yet, I want to say something. I'm being sarcastic, perhaps, 
I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not, not trying to be humorous about this situation. It's a horrible situation. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's going to cause the loss of millions of souls. Who knows how many? It's a horrible thing that we decry, that we are sorrowful for. But it is, it is uh, we say all these things just to paint a true picture of it. It's ridiculous. One might be tempted to say, well, you know, this last paragraph, it means that Francis is trying to regulate things. He doesn't want it to go all crazy. He wants to put control on it. He doesn't want it to be done in, you know, priests to do whatever they want, right? Well, read paragraph 36. In this sense, it is essential to grasp the Holy Father's concern that these blessings never turn into a semi-liturgical act similar to a sacrament. Why? Because then there would be disorder? Why? Because the Pope wants to keep it controlled, you know, well-checked? No. Because that would constitute a serious impoverishment. It would subject a gesture of great value in popular piety to excessive control. And so what we don't want is that this is controlled. What we don't want is that these things are handled. We want them to be out of hand. We want every priest to be able to do whatever crazy thing he decides to do. And this is precisely the same process that was followed with the new mass. The new mass, the one instituted by Paul VI, was unregulated. It gave priests the freedom to improvise. And that caused all kinds of liturgical abuses, sacrileges, impure shows on churches, and things of all sorts, even idolatry. That's exactly what they're doing here. And to end the document, uh, we, you know, I already hear Mr. SSPX over here telling me, no, 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 this wasn't authoritative. You know, this was not authoritative. It was not a cathedra. He's still the Pope. You know, he might be dancing on an altar with idols of uh, Pachamama, but he's still the Pope. It's not authoritative. Well, the authors of this document took good care to close all the gaps and every single hole you could use to try to rescue it. Because they say, taking the above points into account and following the authoritative teaching of Pope Francis. They go on to finalize the document. Signed by the pervert, that is, uh, he is a pervert, that is the prefect of the Dicastery for the Faith and by Francis on December 18th, 2023. To end this video that has been long enough, uh, what are the consequences of this document that arise? Uh, there are many. The first one that, that is immediate is what I mentioned already, the loss of souls. Uh, this is entirely betraying all priests, bishops, parents that were fighting against the LGBT agenda. Now, if you are a parent and you have a child, that, uh, and you have a boy that wants to date another boy, and here we're going to get into adult topics. This whole podcast has been about adult topics. You won't be able to tell him anything because your adult boy will tell you, Father, you know, Dad, uh, the priest blessed me. Francis blessed me. So you're nobody to tell me that I'm wrong. So there you're, all your efforts are clipped. If you're a priest and you want to preach against it, and you want to help people be chaste and pure rather than giving themselves, as St. Paul says, to torpitude, laying men laying with men and women laying with women your hands are tied now because your pope quote unquote has approved this and has even ordered you to approve it and to bless it not as a marriage but in a different way of union so now you cannot preach against it anymore if you were even a person that was striving to get out of this situation a person that struggled with the temptation to the same sex well, now you're betrayed by the Pope. Because here all your efforts have been in vain. You didn't need to do that. You could have a blessing just anyways. And yes, there were good things. And even the Holy Ghost would have descended upon you. Total betrayal. And we must not be deceived. Souls will go to hell for that. Parents that will not be able to resist the temptation. Children that will not be able to fight against it. Priests that will yield as it is already happening. 
It's a very, very horrible thing that we're witnessing. Another consequence that will come is the persecution of priests. Because the way it was framed is not that people have to come to a church, follow any process to, to, to go ahead with it. But they can approach you in any... They can approach you in, in the airport, in a restaurant, in any public place. And this will be to any priest, not just the modernist priests, but also ourselves. I will be walking in an airport and I will get a gay couple coming up to me and saying, hey, can you bless our union? And I will, as someone was saying, I, I might be able to say, in ilo abilo benedicaris in cuyo sonore cremabris. Uh, I would not say that, but one will be forced to say, yeah, I'll bring something descending, you know, about you, but it's not going to be a blessing. You'll be descending somewhere else. It's... Uh, you'll be put in a situation where you might be charged with hate crimes. Because now why do you deny it? If the Pope said that you can do it, it's just because you are the one that hates. And priests will be prosecuted, and they will be brought to jail and brought to judgment or whatever. And this is perhaps the grimmest part of it all. I am convinced that the next great Catholic persecution will be based precisely on the whole LGBT agenda. It's very, very convenient. It makes perfect sense. The governments will accept the LGBT agenda. Now the churches are accepting it, even Vatican II Church. And the next step is to say, well, if you refuse to follow this agenda, you're committing hate crimes and you will go to jail. And that's how you will discern true Catholics from those who have apostatized. This is where we are right now. These are the consequences of this document. A very great and a very grave and serious issue. However, we don't want to end the program with a, a bad note. You know, this is a very ugly topic, but there are better things to think about. And so I do want to share with you one other resource that we have coming up in the Catholic Wire. And that is uh, beginning right now. We are publishing articles in the Catholic Wire every week, almost every week. Articles that are very interesting that you can read, you know, in that morning read when you, you want to read something that is useful to your soul, not the news. Uh, well, you can go to the Catholic Wire and you'll see here, uh, this is how you're going to see it in your cell phone. You're going to see posts coming out every week. And these are all articles, most of them taken from the Reign of Mary. Uh, articles about the changes in the Mass, articles about uh, spirituality, very good articles about spirituality. I just read this one for the third order readers. So every morning you can go in there and check these articles, read them. This is going to be coming out from now on. I do want to thank Michael Turpin. He's a parishioner of mine. He has been working tirelessly. Uh, very little, you know, I don't give him really much. I don't really give him anything. Uh, but he is here working just for the love of God to help souls to be able to do something good. And he has been working tirelessly to put these articles up there. Also, thank you to Father Benedict and to the publishers of The Reign of Mary. You still want to subscribe to the magazine. These articles are old articles. They will be coming up very slowly. So you won't get the new stuff. And if you want to get the new stuff, you want to subscribe to The Reign of Mary. For that, go to cmri.org. And The Reign of Mary is a great magazine. It costs very little. It's a great publication to support. Go ahead and support it. So... This is some of the things that we have to finish. And also, there is even more music that is available to you. This is the Mater Dei Academy Choir. This is a relic that Father Borja came up with long, long time ago when Father Borja was still young. Um, he's still young. I'll say that he's still young. Uh, they recorded an actual CD of uh, sacred music and another one of Christmas music. And it's also very pleasant to listen to. I would very much recommend it. Also available in all musical platforms. If you want to find it, I'm not going to be able to see it here actually right now. But if you want to find it, just look up Mater Dei Academy Choir and you'll be able to see it there. We'll end the program with that. We have phrases that we wanted to talk about and other things, but we'll end it there. We will just finish with a prayer in order to have some spiritual profit as we end. And this prayer that we're about to say has an indulgence of three years, so we make the intention of gaining that indulgence. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Most dear Lord Jesus Christ, who being made a child for us, didst will to be born in a cave, to free us from the darkness of sin, to draw us unto thee, and to set us on fire with thy holy love. We adore thee as our Creator and Redeemer. We acknowledge thee and choose thee for our King and Lord. And for tribute, we offer thee all the affection of our poor hearts. Dear Jesus, our Lord and God, graciously accept this offering, and that it may be worthy of thine acceptance. Forgive us our sins, enlighten us, and inflame us with that sacred fire which thou camest to bring upon the earth and to enkindle in our hearts. May our souls thus become an altar, on which we may offer thee the sacrifice of our mortifications. Grant that we may ever seek thy greater glory here on earth, so that one day we may come to enjoy thine infinite loveliness in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This has been Father Carlos Cepeda, and you are listening to The Catholic Wire. Thank you, and God bless you.